innovate faster, collaborate efficiently, and deliver more value with less effort. Oh, and do it all safely and securely. These are mandates that all digital leaders will be familiar with. I don't think there's an industry that's changed and continues to change quite as rapidly as that of the technology industry. It's safe to say that there is constant pressure on our digital leaders to evolve and stay competitive in an ever-shifting, disruptive world. It's enough to send the average person's head into a spin. And the pace of change seems to be accelerating. According to a McKinsey and Company study, COVID-19 has pushed digital transformation forward by seven years. At Kent, we couldn't be in better hands to help us navigate this ever-changing landscape. Our technology team is second to none, and it's headed up by Damien O'Gara, our Chief Digital and Information Officer. Damien has revolutionised technology at Kent and is about to embark on his toughest challenge yet as his team integrate the technology landscape following our acquisition of the oil and gas business of SNC Lavalin. At the end of 2021, Damien was recognised as a legend, as well as being awarded the DX Inspire Award for Digital Transformation at the World CIO 200 Summit, which didn't come as a surprise to any of us. Through this conversation, you'll not only learn more about Damien's journey, but what an utterly wonderful human being he is too. This is Spark Generation. Hi, Damien. Welcome to Spark Generation. Hi, Joanne. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for joining us and coming on the show. It's been I've been really looking forward to speaking to you. Great. Yeah. Pleased to be here. Um, so to kick us off, tell us a little bit about yourself and who you share your life with. Yeah, so I'm Damien O'Gara. I'm Chief Digital and Information Officer here at Kent. Um, I live in Dubai. Um, I shared my life with uh, my wife, Karen. Um, we met in Zakynthos 30 years ago, um, mm-hmm. an island in a Greek island, a holiday romance, you know. <laughs> and we've been married 25 years. We've got one son, he's 19, and he's at university in uh, Newcastle. And I think, you know, a lot of the podcasts I've heard people talk about their pets. And we've got we've got a pet. We've got a we've got a dog. He's a miniature schnauzer, um, and he's a, a terrier. Very intelligent though. Um, I love that breed of dog. Um, Karen, my wife, she has an IT career as well. So uh, mm-hmm. she she was twenty years working in IT. She's given it up now, but she she worked in IT as well. So she she kind of gets it. And she understands um, the stresses that it brings, right? And the challenges it brings and the opportunities, of course. Yeah. Uh, what did your early life look like? Like, where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? I know you've got you've got a little bit of Irish blood in there as well, haven't you? Yeah. So I grew up in, um, not far from you, I guess, northwest England in yeah. a near place called Manchester. Um, actually in a town called Chorley, which is north of Manchester in England. I went to school in a place called Kirkham, which is near Blackpool and very close to Blackpool Pleasure Beach. So, uh, which is a Blackpool Pleasure Beach is a fair, like with roller coasters and all that sort of stuff. So, I used to hang around there, which was really cool as a young kid. Um, and like a lot of people who grew up in Northwest England, um, my dad was Irish because, um, and my mum has Irish heritage. So, hence the name O'Gara. Mm-hmm. And uh, they come from a place called Donegal on the west coast of Ireland. So, actually, now my home home is back in um, in Ireland. Actually, from uh, uh, that's where I, my home is, my house is. Yeah. yeah. Um, I must admit, I went to Blackpool a few weeks ago. Now, when I used to go to Blackpool as a kid, it was such a magical place, just absolutely amazing. And I don't want to offend anybody who comes from. <laughs> Blackpool I lived near Blackpool but I was really shocked at just how sort of I don't know whether it's gone downhill or whether the lens that you have on it as a child in the pleasure beach and all of the magical lights and stuff like that you just it looks different as an adult yeah, <laughs> but it's a long time since I've been there and I was a bit shocked yeah no I think it's a bit 
bit of both, isn't it? Like seaside yeah. towns generally in the UK have been underinvested in, a bit jaded. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, and then you've got that kids' view roller coasters and what have you. you know, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, Arcades yeah. and lights and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, okay, so that was early life. But where and when did your interest in tech begin? When did you become a tech geek? Oh, a tech geek. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I was born in 1969, so I'm showing a little bit there. So, um, uh, so obviously, I've seen a huge, massive change over that time. Mm. Started sc- senior school in 1981. And at, at that time in, in England, there was a sc- school literacy program. Um, about 1982, um, computers started to get introduced into schools, right? So um, I think our school, we had BBC Micros from a company called Acorn. I think we had six of them at the time. And um, It's it's insane that you can remember that, that amount of detail. Yeah, oh. Model B, Model B. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they were in high demand, right? So obviously six for um, a small school, actually, 500 people, but still high demand. Um, Obviously, low powered, you know, these would have 32 kilobytes, right? So I'm talking to you off a MacBook Air, and uh, I think this MacBook Air has 8 million kilobytes, right? So you're talking 32 kilobytes, BBC, to 8 million. So that's just millions of times more powerful now. So a huge change from, and your processors, they had 2 megahertz, and now uh, this is a, a low powered Mac, and it's got 1.2 gigahertz. So huge huge uh, massive processing power developments in memory and what have you um and uh, look we've got millions of colors now we had eight mm-hmm. we only had eight colors to play with on those first computers and it, in fact the green screen and then uh, when color was introduced it was just eight now with millions of colors so massive um, massive developments i think those uh, first computers in schools brought um, there's a computer language called i don't want to go too techy and geeky or whatever but you did ask me the question <laughs> but there, they, there was a language called bbc basic i'm sure a lot of right. people who are listening right would uh, be familiar with it especially my age or a bit uh, even younger maybe 10 years older younger but bbc basic um was quite, kind of a simple language to learn for kids so it introduced kids of the 80s to computer programming and um and therefore opened up a new kind of career route for for kids yeah. into programming and what have you. So, um, yeah, I mean, there was that. And then, you know, obviously at the Pleasure Beach, we were playing, there were games like Space Invaders and coming out yeah. and all those uh, arcade games. So with computing uh, and programming, you could, um, with computers in schools, you could program like Space Invader games, right? Simple ones. So you didn't have to put 10 Ps in the slots. And, um, yeah. And each week, uh, these computer magazines came out with um, uh, with programs to copy. You just copied them into the computer and get a game working, right? You couldn't store it, right? You turn it off and it's gone. So you'd spend ages yeah. typing them in. But um, I guess that is where I got an interest in computing. And then that was at, at school and at home. I had a few of the early makes of uh, computers, like there was a ZX80 and ZX81 and Spectrum, and uh, then uh, Commodore 64. All... Commodore 64 was the first one we had. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's right. All those uh, early computers. I think at the same time there was um, the UK actually tried to have a go at making the internet right before the internet. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, they, they, they launched a service called uh, Prestel. Prestel was the post office, actually, and it was an information service. I can remember one day um, I used one of my computer, Amstrad PC, CPC 464, and it must have been um, 1984 or something. I managed to log in, right, on a green screen, log in and connect on a dial. And we're talking the age of, like, no... Uh, <laughs> No mobile phones or anything like that, dial-up connections and what have you. So, uh, yeah, logged in and got a real thrill from, felt like, oh, my God, how did I connect this computer? What is this stuff? I'm talking, it comes up very, very slowly on your screen. Yeah, go, yeah, oh, my yeah. gosh. So, um, yeah, but Prestel didn't really take off, right? In fact, the Duke of Edinburgh was using it for his uh, emails and he got hacked. 
and that killed that killed <laughs> that killed Prestel in the end. So it didn't really get off. And then uh, obviously BBCs, micros, and these computers. Then they evolved into PCs. That, so you had. 286, 386, 486 went through evolutions, you know, the PC that people are familiar with these days. And um, and then programming languages exploded from BBC Basic into hundreds of different uh, uh, computer programming languages, you know, so uh, which made them more accessible to uh, more people. And now you've got kids who are three years old who do programming, right? Because you have Yeah, it's quite scary, isn't it? I mean, you're talking about all of this stuff, and I kind of sort of grew up in the early days of computers and stuff, but it didn't bite me. Like, it was all a bit, you know, it was a bit boring to me. I wasn't really interested in the computers and stuff, but kids grow up with, with such powerful technology in the pocket now these days that that literally before they can even speak, they know how to swipe on an iPad and things like that. So it's it's quite shocking to think about how generations are growing up with completely different experiences through technology. Oh, it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, they're like, yeah. uh, now the kids, you know, my 19 year old, you've got a younger generation of kids and yeah. they're, con they're, they're uh, consumers. They don't understand what's going on in the machine. Actually, a lot of them, unless you really want to get into the field of the bits and bytes and what's really going on, it's becoming really specialist at that. So the, yeah. the even though the technologists, they don't really understand unless you really take a, a a career in like a scientific career then you know because the abstraction yeah. is a way a long way from uh, uh, machine code which is the zeros and the ones yeah 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 so talk us through how how you actually started in the working world then so what was your first job out of out of yeah. um university you went studying computer science right and then you went into to work so what was your first job and how's it progressed since then yeah so um so i studied computer science obviously at, in london and then i went to do a master's degree which was a specialist master's degree in uh databases right sounds a bit sad right but it was in databases <laughs> and relational theory um and then at the time there was this company uh called oracle right and oracle were the um, world leaders in relational theory and databases. Um, so I applied for the graduate program and because it was a direct match to uh, the skills I'd learned at university, I managed to get onto the graduate program. I joined the uh, consulting division in uh, a department called Central Government and Defense. And what that meant is that they put me in, into uh, some exciting environments in the army, in the RAF, in central government, in the Navy. So I uh, got to see some really cool um, projects there. Yeah. And then uh, I stayed with Oracle through the 90s. And I left in the end of the 90s. And then I actually went out on my own and did uh, consulting roles for about 15 years. Right. And I worked, you know, I worked across uh, various industries um, um, and uh, all sorts of disciplines. So I worked with software development and managed software development teams, enterprise architecture, large scale programs, management. Um, so, the, you know, the consulting role is, you know, it's kind of, it's not a proper job, but you get to see a lot of, you get to see a lot of uh, different environments and you, yeah. um, you're your own boss, right? So I got um, a ton of experience from industry, but it's not stable, right? You kind of like a traveler and a, a bit of a nomad. Um, and then I came to the UAE and uh, I loved it. And my family loved it out here. And um, I thought, you know, maybe I should get, it's time to get a proper job. Or maybe it was Karen who said, you should get a proper job <laughs> and uh, stop doing contract consulting roles. What triggered the move? What what triggered the actual move out to the Middle East? Yeah, so um, a friend of mine had um, a consultancy business, and he had won a major contract for the government in U in uh, Abu Dhabi. And he'd asked me; I'd worked for him previously um, with British Telecom, and he asked me to come and run that program for him. So uh, as a consultant, so I came out, and then in that first year, I decided that um, it was a year's job right and uh, i i decided you know i'm gonna stay and my family were visiting and uh it was, i love the culture 
family loved the culture and we decided to relocate out here and then like i say start to look for a proper job rather than consulting roles and you went to the big television network was that your first proper job in the UAE? <laughs> proper job for some doesn't it? Right? <laughs> so yeah so i worked i worked for um I got a job as SVP of IT um, in um, a company called OSN. So OSN is a um, broadcast media company, a bit like Sky TV in the UK or Comcast in America. So um, I was basically running after looking after technology and their IT department and product development, which was really cool, actually. So um, um, uh, great, great experience. But unfortunately, that the company there was it was a it was uh, despite us doing a great job with the company because the you know, UA is pretty cyclical, right? And um, people were leaving the country, and therefore, when villas and apartments empty, people don't want to subscribe to a service like that. So the business model was failing at the time, or it wasn't working out too well. So um, so it turned out not to be that stable, right? So um, so I. Um, uh, started looking for a company that was growing rather than in decline. And um, that's how I ended up meeting with uh, Kentech. And right. I loved the, the interview process at Kentech. This was a, at the end of 2019, 2018, sorry. Um, it was uh, such a great story. Um, you know, from a um, hundred year old, old heritage, um, the, the program, uh, there was a program called the Engine for Growth, which was to take the company to be a billion dollar business by 2025, $500 million by uh, 2021. So I love that. And also there's a big opportunity there in technology because, um, uh, how do I say that? It hadn't really been looked after properly. So it, there was an yeah. opportunity there. And, you know, I, I could see that. Um, I could see there was a real, uh, I could see I was going to enjoy it. And also the culture of the leadership team was, you know, um, uh, was fantastic, right? So uh, you could sense it and feel it. The culture, even in the interview process, you knew what you were walking into. So, um, mm -hmm. so it was the right company for me. And um, here, here we are, a few years later now, and we're um, Kent. Um, so you could in that first interview, you interviewed with. Did you interview with Ben on the first interview? Um, yeah. So I. Did uh, went through met with Ben and John Kavanagh, who was yeah. at the time was HR director, and um, then I met with um, Sarah Kent and John Gilly, who were mm -hmm. um, the uh, that was kind of second interview, and then I I came out of that interview really excited <laughs> and I ran out of the interview and down the path outside and I, I fell over and broke my leg outside. <laughs> Um, so that was a bit of an adventure. So it was, a, and then um, I was asked uh, to come in a, a few weeks later on crutches and present, um, go through a final uh, interview um, and present you know, what what my plans would be for the company uh, from a technology perspective um, over the over the coming years, which I did, and that that was it. So a great interview process, and uh, apart from breaking the leg, um, it was, uh, I mean. To say that that was just the end of 2018, one, it's gone really fast. But two, it's it's so much has changed. I mean, so much has changed within the business, obviously, especially over the last couple of years. Um, but technology-wise, you're right. Like it was, it was pretty painful back when you first joined us as a global business to be joined up. Um, and the work that you and the IT team have put into actually just really revolutionizing our technology. And thank God you put that work in throughout 2019, because then when we, we hit March 2020. Yeah. 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 And the COVID-19 well, pandemic hit, it just saved us, didn't it? Do you want to speak about that period and just kind of how your team just kind of really pulled it out of the bag and what it means to the business that we were able to kind of get through that with the technology we did. Yeah, well, obviously, we didn't foresee any of that coming. And, yeah. Um, yeah. and uh, you know, COVID and acquisition as well, even though kind of we were looking at companies, but they yeah. this major acquisition and COVID at this, all at the same time. 
Um, mm -hmm. So we, we had a plan um, right at the start, um, which was we had a three-phase plan, and that was modernize, digitize, and um, then disrupt. I don't like to use that word too much, but it, disrupt as in... I like uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I like that yeah. word. <laughs> so, um, so modernize meant uh, basically um, not just technology, for, but from an organizational technology organizational perspective, um, uh, get some more professional kind of uh, working practices, follow some uh, uh, recognized frameworks, bring in some people that were uh, that knew what good would good looks like. Uh, I use the phrase recruit from the future, right? People who've yeah. who've seen good and um, so modernize, but obviously modernize also uh, meant from a technology perspective, we had to overhaul um, everything from servers, networks, laptops, you know, all the basics of IT. And um, central to that was uh, cloud first, right? So which was, yeah. um, uh, makes things a bit easier for us as an IT department. You might, so migrating into the cloud, into Microsoft Cloud. And also we were looking at some legacy, legacy systems that were all kind of a bit disconnected and old. And um, so we chose a new corporate system, which is called an ERP, Enterprise Resource Planning System, which um, is basically all your HR systems and finance and procurement, all the key bits that a business, any business, right, uh, operates mm -hmm. on. And uh, we chose, uh, 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 we chose Oracle Cloud, not because I used to work for Oracle. I'm, uh, I, right? I, I took I took myself out of the selection process. That was one of the reasons why, actually, because I used to work for Oracle. I didn't want to get involved in that in the final yeah. decision. But they're world class. They're the Ferrari of ERPs, you know. So, yeah. So there was um, a um, there was a there was a ton of stuff to do, and I think we were fortunate to break the back of modernization uh, by the time co we just broken the back of most of it um, um, but that when covid broke and we all went into lockdown we we accelerated at a pace then just to finish it off you know yeah yeah um so i mean without steering you to say that everything that you've done for kent tech and kent must have been your career highlight so far but when you look back over the course of everything I know that technology is advanced and stuff like that so there's always changes and there's always uh new things to look at but generally just over the whole time what have, what have been your career highlights do, do you know Kentech um is a career highlight Kent should I say Kent has yeah. been a career highlight because it's allowed me to uh use all the skills I've developed over the years and apply them all, right? And I experienced a bad experience and lots of scars, right? And use yeah. that experience. But going back, um, gosh, there's, there's so many systems, right? And projects and programs that I've been involved in, but some of the, I'll give you some quick highlights. Um, um, I worked for five years um, as a consultant on the world's largest IT program at the time. And it was a £6 billion program to create a central database of patient healthcare records in the UK. So put everybody's wow. records uh, from, you know, the trolleys, the paper trolleys, get it all digitized, oh, right. yeah, you know, yeah. trolleys going around hospitals, get it digitized and get it uh, into a central database. So that involved uh, not only creating a, this, uh, we called it the spine, right? It's a huge program, uh, database, sorry. Um, but also connect up every primary and secondary care setting in the, in the country. That, that's GP surgeries and hospitals. So 9,000 GP surgeries and 1,200 hosp 1, hospitals. So you can imagine that was high pressure and large scale and uh, highly complex um, piece of work. So, can you imagine the secure the security around that and like security. cyber security around that because you're talking about people's very personal, very private information. Oh my gosh, yeah, cyber security <laughs> on that uh, from from every angle. You know, it's not just the it's not just the um, the technical angle, but even like the uh, your patient confidentiality, like uh, consent. Mm. Do I consent to share my personal uh, healthcare records? 
right? Yes or no? Yeah. That, that, that yeah. even that question can cut, yeah. you know, and the regulations around that is kind of uh, you know, challenging. So that was one. And then another highlight was I were, uh, um, I developed, um, was in the team that developed the United Kingdom's passport application service. I was working with Siemens right. Business Services, which was really cool. Um, and again, uh, cybersecurity, obviously you're dealing with passports. And so really, really secure environment. Um, and the result of that is, uh, you know, it was great to see you know, people getting the shiny new passports and going on holiday. Um, that's the output from it, right? So um, yeah. that was a, that was great. And obviously, your know, broad, broadcast streaming platform was uh, pretty cool as well. You know, working on a Netflix type of application development, that was pretty cool. So that's uh, B2C, business to consumer. Um, so that's pretty cool, entertaining people. So when you get when you you have an IT career, you, you do get involved in lots of things where, and I love to work on the projects where you are you know, creating value for people like entertaining people right? entertainment right you can see that you've entertained people or uh, you know just talked about giving a passport you know the end result giving a passport to some developing a system that uh, uh, results in a passport so somebody can go traveling you know sort of real or you know with healthcare um we had you know tangible examples of people whose lives were saved i can remember people uh, i remember there was a guy i'll just get a quick anecdote here there was a guy who, um, shortly after we went live, within a couple of weeks, he'd, he had, um, um, I'm talking about we're going from manual papers into a digitized system. Uh, he, he'd collapsed on the street just outside the underground in London, and um, there was a doctor walking past, and he got his ID um, from his pocket, and he managed to log on and found out that he had some condition that needed uh, to be treated uh, urgently in a particular type of way he he the doctor said uh, that the patient would have died if he didn't have access to that information at, um you know quickly and the uh, the guy was from another part of the country right so it was um he was visiting london and you know when you hear stories like that where um your your system that you've developed has resulted in you know somebody's life being saved well, that gives me goosebumps yeah. now, right? You know, just thinking about that, you know. So. Well, yeah, I mean, I think generally in today's world, technology can get a bit of a bad rap. <laughs> you know, it, generally people complain a lot about technology. Yeah. Um, but it touches every single aspect of our lives. And we've got, it's it's interesting to hear it because you just don't realise the amount of, the amount of good that things that you know that it's been done um yeah I mean, so yeah it's absolutely fascinating and also i'm really pleased that you've said that kentech or kent is there in the career highlights when you've worked on some of these amazing and fascinating projects yeah oh no it's certain certainly it's up there you know like i say because uh you can bring that experience and um and um you know, benefit our business so what is it what is it in in your everyday work life now that you love the most what that's, makes you jump out of bed in the morning oh my gosh that's a really good question um you know i i love working with my team i love uh working with um you know the people i love mentoring people i love coaching people i love giving people like opportunity so um i'm often talking to my team about like you know, um uh, the career path and where do they go and how do they get to the next step? So I love that people aspect to my job. I really do. And, um, you know, seeing people grow and, um, and, oh, you know, we touched on value there, you know, I talked there about value, you know, when you're working in it, um, there is an output and you, you can see, um, and you know, the value that you're bringing to the company yeah. right so you know so i love the fact that you know you know whether it's we're driving in efficiency or we're generating some revenue or we're connecting people together through technology like me and you yeah. are talking now or um or society you know we're you know, getting involved in energy transition and how can we you know this is where my mind is uh, you know, I'm thinking now about how can I use technology to help our chief energy transition officer, for example, with, uh, you know, what, what can we do to help with uh, technology? You know? So, yeah, 
I mean, yeah, I, I love all of that, right? But um, yeah. yeah, and so, but it, but there's so much to love about this this job, this company. Your team is is absolutely amazing. There's some of my favourite people in the whole company working your team. Um, but it's the last, you know, twelve to eighteen months has been particularly stressful and putting great 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 pressure on on your team now you're probably facing in the next year the biggest challenge that you've ever faced in your whole career I imagine we've got to do this great technology integration as we um, move everybody from legacy systems into one Kent system I know you could probably talk about this for five hours, yeah. not just not just a quick, you know, <laughs> ten minute. But talk us about talk to us about just the level of challenges that you're going to be facing this year. Huge challenge, right? You're absolutely right. And um, yeah. you know, let me just talk about some of the facts. You know, we've got uh, we've moved what from Kentech three thousand employees, we moved to ten thousand employees. That's um, they're not all technology users, right? We'll have five thousand, five and a half thousand technologies, technology users. So mm -hmm. we have to um, migrate all their mailboxes. That's just one task. That's a program of work in its own right. You know, data migration. We've got five hundred terabytes of data to move right from servers from SNC servers into the Kent uh, network. There's five hundred. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'll repeat that, 500 engineering <laughs> applications, right? So oh over word. 500, right? So that is a program of work. And uh, we've split the program into into these programs. So you've got like end user computer, which I just talked about, um, and servers and infrastructure, wide area network, engineering applications. Um, then you've got corporate applications. So we've got 40 uh, corporate applications to migrate. So a corporate application would be something like a HR system or a... Um, uh, procurement system, finance system, um, uh, business development systems, you know, so CRM, etc. So corporate applications is a program of work, right? Each one of these I'm talking through is a large scale piece of work. Um, you know, a thousand servers, a thousand servers, firewalls, switches, right? So um, in total, that was what we're going to have to uh, migrate over the, over the next year. Um, ERP, we talked about we're moving from disparate uh, uh, different systems. So let's say in the UK they're mm -hmm. using JD Edwards in Atkins, in uh, Canada SNC are using uh, Oracle EBS, an old version of Oracle. Then um, another legal entity is using um, uh, Microsoft, right? So all these different ERPs are going to have to move into. Uh, we have to migrate them somewhere. They're all going to move into Oracle Fusion Cloud which is uh, what Kentech was using. It's, um, so that program of work is massive as well. Um, mm -hmm. And then we have to service that business. So our IT service team need to scale up. So, you know, the people who will fix your laptops and your screens and what have you, who walk around the building. We have a ratio. We have, uh, we, it's a very tight ratio. We, we provide one person for 150 users. It's quite tight. Um, but as we move to cloud, um, you know, the demand is uh, lessening actually uh, on the people who walk around the floors fixing screens because yeah. you know, people, uh, people are more, can do a lot themselves now, you know, they can self-serve them, themselves on a lot of issues. So, and then obviously they've got security, cybersecurity to think about um, in amongst mm -hmm. all of that. You know, it's a very risky time when you're moving, uh, when you're moving from, uh, when you're merging companies together, um, it can be, uh, it is a sensitive time from a security perspective. You're a target for sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of change management that has to happen throughout all of this. Yeah. We humans don't like change. We don't like, I don't know about you. I hate change. Nah, and so there's going to be a lot of pe people within our company that have got to go through a lot of change. And this change isn't just, um, you know, I don't know some some low level change that's a a bit of an inconvenience. It's it's actually real risk to the business. Like if we don't migrate these things properly, people can't do their jobs, and every, the whole business can fall over. 
not to put not not to stress you out anymore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. that's the, but this is the this yeah. is the enormity of what we're talking about here. So yeah. um if you could if there was one just quick kind of message or piece of advice or um ask that you could have of people within the business as we move through this, what would it be? Oh, um, I would say, um, yeah, change is hard. Um, please be patient with us. We do have a good team. We have a great team. You know, I'm, I've got a lot of faith in the team. I don't think we can do better, actually. Yeah, I think we've got an excellent team. Um, if this team can't do this, then, then nobody can. So, uh, you, know, you know, please, everybody's working hard in this business. And um, the the team, the technology team, you know, be aware that they, they are working they're burning the candle at both sides, you know, from very early morning yeah. to late at night and weekends, you know, straight through the weekends in some cases, you know. So um, be patient <laughs> with us um, and, you know, supportive and try and be positive um, um, wherever you can. Change is hard. Um, I think, you know, you've got that curve that I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with where you go the, the resistance to change and then you come over the top. And then, and I think that's where we were with Kentech, actually. We were just at the top of, we're just pushing over the top. I'm visualizing a roller coaster here, by the way. So you, uh, you go over the top of the curve, and then you then you're coming down the other side, and it you know, gets easier. We've we've now gone up. We're now back to the start again, going up a much steeper. Um, this is the big one. This is the big one. The big one, right? I think. The, <laughs> that, yeah, that that was at Blackpool Pleasure Beach, actually. The yeah, big one. Yeah, 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 that's right. So, um, yeah. So. Um, yeah, so yeah, be patient, please. We'll get there. and and let's embrace the future. Let's ask everybody to embrace the future yeah, and, sure. and let go of some of some of the past. Not all of it, just some of it. Yeah. Sure. Um what's what is the biggest risk in all of this? What what is it that keeps you awake at night? Oh, it, it, every night differs. <laughs> but uh, I think <laughs> um the, there's kind of three three main things. I think the first is um the dates, um, um, and you've touched on it already. Destabilizing the business, I, you know, whatever happens, even if we went back to manual systems or Excel spreadsheets, we cannot destabilize the business. So that worries me, um, and we need to make sure that we gracefully uh, cut over to new systems. You know. um, keeping the integrity, we've got something called transitional services agreement, um, which I'm sure people are familiar with for twelve months. Um, we need to keep the integrity of those dates in place, right? So um, there will be some movement on interim milestones as we get there. I know that that's inevitable, but my um, um, the big risk is that the end date moves, right? Because if the end date moves, uh, we can move it a little bit, but we don't have much wiggle room. And if we haven't cut off by then, then we'll be find ourselves in a bit of trouble and some kind of negotiation or which we don't want to get into. Um, so that's number one. And second is security. I've talked about uh, you do become a bigger uh, target um, as you're going through an integration. Um, so um, we have formed something called a security council, which is uh, cross-business. Um, people uh, attend, attend this meets every month, and it's how do we protect our people, how do we protect our assets, and how do we protect our information as we... Uh, as we go on this journey, so that's second, and the third is people. Um, you know, I'm re I see people, I see people. Um, you know, I often take ask people to take days off or weekends off, yeah. um, and I worry about them burning out. Yeah, because yeah. Uh, because you you know you need uh, you can all do so much right, and uh, your know, people need a break. So yeah. 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 And if you were to look back in, you know, 18 months, two years time when this is all done and dusted, what do you want to look back and see that you've achieved? Like what would what would good really look like? What's going to be the biggest impact? Oh, I've got this. Uh, yeah. So I've got I do have a vision. Right. And uh, <laughs> a visual. Uh, I have this vision of this beautiful, integrated, smooth running, highly available performance system that uh, not many people are complaining about <laughs> that that are that is you know that is really truly bringing 
benefit to um, to our project teams and to our employees. And uh, that, you know, it's secure, it's world class, and that uh, you know, it's really engaged our business and people are behind it. Um, so. Um, yeah, that's kind of the vision of the future, I yeah. think. You know, and I think it's achievable. And in the mean, I think it's achievable, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And in the meantime, everybody's um, really, really pleased with the IT team and we all celebrate you and we all think that you're still the best people on earth. We've Thank not just so all much. kind of, yeah, yeah, we've not just all kind of broken friendships and stuff <laughs> during this tough time. <laughs> Oh, so which i'm sure will never happen no no we've got to keep it that way as well we yeah, need to yeah, keep it that absolutely way. strong culture that's what we're building absolutely, so it'll be all yeah. good yeah absolutely thanks for taking us through that um before we move on to some quick fire questions to get to know a little bit delve into your brain a little bit more <laughs> if you could give one piece of advice to the next generation of people entering the workplace in such a changing world what would it be um, based on my own experience um, and early in my career, I think flagging is issues uh, don't hold, share your issues. Uh, I think my own experience, I had a tendency in my early career just to want to deliver, want to deliver uh, like, yeah, and w I wouldn't, if something was read, I would say, oh yeah, it's, it's kind of all right, <laughs> right? But mm. you learn the hard way not to do that. You and this is what I say to my team. They'll they'll be laughing if they listen to this. I say, uh, I ask people, is everything green or is everything amber? Is it red? <laughs> right? Flag it now. Don't tell me when we're two days away from go live. You know, I can help you now. Yeah. You know, and we can get it. You know. So that's the first piece of advice. So, um, yeah, you, you, people would admire you and be you know if you. Uh, you, know, you know, if you share your problems early. And the second piece of advice is even on bad days, you know, I, I even uh, tell myself this some days on bad days, I get to, I use these, this phrase, I get to, right? I get to do something. Yeah. So if I've got a challenging meeting ahead of me and I don't really want to do it <laughs> or some yeah. problem, if you turn, if you turn it into an opportunity, so, oh, I get to, um, go to that meeting and I get to challenge myself to get through that meeting and you know, turn it into a positive rather than going, oh my gosh, I've got to go and do this and uh, I'm going to hate it. Even if it's something that you really don't want to do, see it as a, you know, an opportunity. Turn, turn, so turn the, the tough stuff into opportunities. You know, yeah, keeping, keeping that positive mindset. Because yeah. the mind is so powerful, it can get you through so much, can't it? Absolutely. And in teams as well, I think it's just really important to build that kind of no blame culture where people feel that it, what they talk about it being like psychological safety within teams so that people can come and, and flag issues and raise things and stuff like that because it's not it's it's not perceived as a weakness. No. Like it's not perceived as a weakness if there's an issue there. Yeah, and this is the company, um, right? The the culture yeah. of this company is um, this is the best company I've worked for, hands down, right? Hands down um, over you know, quite a long career, I guess, and um, and that is down to culture and the you know the fact that you could flag anything or talk about anything to anybody, right? Um, yeah. Without uh, any fear, and you've got uh, safe safe to do so. I certainly yeah, encourage yeah, it in my team. Yeah. So we've got some really fun quick fire questions. Um, are you ready? Yeah, go on. <laughs> <laughs> um, who's the person you admire most and why? Uh, um, if I can just, a bit personal, but if I use my dad, right? My dad had an X factor. Um, he was, uh, and it was intangible. And I tried to kind of, if I could bottle it, you know, I, I would. It's very. It's one of those things, right? That it's a very. He was really hugely respected. He passed away, unfortunately. Um, he had some secret ingredient. I'm not sure what it was, but uh, um, I never saw. Never saw him angry. Never, ever. Right. Uh, always positive. Always, um, uh, you know, seen the best in life, and um, and uh, I guess, um, uh, yeah, that attracted people to him. I think you know. So, so uh, yeah, my dad. Yeah, that's go. really lovely. Actually, you know, we see a lot of that in you as well. Oh, so some of it must have rubbed off. 
Um, tell me a habit or ritual you do that improves your life or helps you to perform better. Oh, so when I'm in the zone, when I'm in the zone, and I try to get in the zone, um, my, my zone is I get up early, right? I get up five a.m. even uh, five to five thirty. Um, I'll spend thirty minutes reading, um, usually personal development or leadership kind of material, um, and then I'll bring those ideas into work. I mean, I'm sure again my team will be laughing about this because I'm often coming up with new crazy ideas and i tell them none of these are mine i just read it this morning right so and then um you know in the zone i do 30 minutes and then i i walked i've got the dog obviously so i take the dog for a walk i always eat well every you know i i eat a ton of fruit i didn't used to and that's that's changed my life quite a lot actually i used to eat junk food i, I now eat fruit you'll see me eating blueberries all day right I'll, I'm gonna turn that blueberry. was a covid thing wasn't it that COVID, COVID yeah, COVID that yeah. really, that really, yeah, um, that really um, uh, accelerated that. I lost a lot of weight in COVID actually, yeah, so became healthier. And then, um, yeah, so in the zone, I and then I start my early morning calls at about seven thirty. So I have first call at seven thirty every day with um, the integration uh, lead, and we we start from there. So we, um, so that's kind of when I'm in the zone. It's early start. Walk the dog read something new and then crack on with the day yeah and then there's and then there's gin or is that just me the gym <laughs> yes no not gym oh, gin, gin. oh gin. gin oh gin oh no no there's plenty of gin <laughs> yeah. yeah so um, that's more later on in the day not early morning yeah fitness i hope not anyway yeah yeah yeah, yeah. gin, gin leave um, to the weekend <laughs> yeah yeah uh if you had a dream that you could make happen that would change the world for the better, what would it be? Oh, I mean, I, I, I've seen too many people recently that have had serious illnesses, you know, so terminal illnesses. And so eradicating terminal illness, that would be my dream and any kind of suffering. And yeah. uh, can I have two? I'd re the second one will be, re oh, oh, I'll, I'll be you. greedy. The second one is on. uh, removing these artificial lines that you see on maps, the cold countries, right? I think as we become more of a global um global uh world right so i i see boundaries disappearing i'm very proud of my team but uh we have 11 nationalities in our team and it's um uh, and it's a small team we only have about 30 people worldwide 11 nationalities and you know that mix is um is great so remove the lines forget about that um and um uh yeah so just yeah, it's that funny you say that actually. How many we're a team of the communications team is a team of nine people. I think we've got six nationalities wow. in it. What a great ratio. It's pretty good, isn't yeah, it? That's cool. Quite like that. Isn't it? Good ratio of men and women as well. Yeah. Uh what's on your adventure list? Do you know I'd like to um I'd like to visit this is a bit crazy. I'd like to visit I've been looking at visiting blue zones, right? A blue zone is where you've got the most centenarians in the world. Maybe it's an age thing because I'm getting a bit older. So, but uh, you know, like in Greece, uh, there's some islands there that have got a uh, high proportion of uh, centenarians. I'd like to go there and experience what they're doing. You know, you know, go to yeah. go to the what's bar. The secret? Yeah. What's the yeah. what's the local bar they go to? What do they? What tipple do they have? You know. So yeah, I'd love to find out more about that. So, um, I want to start visiting these places. You know, and find out yeah. more. Yeah. Interesting. Um, three people living or dead that you'd love to have dinner with. Okay. All right. This is a bit mad, I think. Um, the first is a guy called Darian Olian, right? He's written a book called Super Life, and uh, there's a Netflix series uh, that he did with Zac Efron. Um, the book is amazing, and uh, it's all about nutrition. It's basically in a healthy life, you know, nutrition and oxygenation and hydration and detox and all that kind of stuff really really good uh insights um i would say that's a life change that book was a life changer for me yeah so that's the first i'd love to meet him he looks like a really cool guy as well um the second is shane mcgowan so shane mcgowan i from a, a, a band called the pogues so um i used to go and watch the this band a lot and shane mcgowan is a bit of a crazy mad person right um but he's a poet and 
I don't see him as a musician. I see him as a poet. Some of the stuff he comes out with in his lyrics are is really profound mm. and clearly a well-read uh, individual. Bit of a drunk, but um, <laughs> but I think to have him at the dinner table with um, it will be something different, right? So yeah, if you could understand what he was saying, yeah, yeah. you'd be on to a winner. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So I'd have the poet sat with Darren Oli and telling me how to live. So the drunk with the guy. Um, <laughs> And I think third, third, I've got an interest, a bit of interest in science. I like to look, you like to uh, think uh, about the big questions in life, you know. So, like, where are we in, where, where are we in this universe, right? This small yeah. planet. So, I'd have somebody like Neil deGrasse Tyson or Brian Cox there as well. So, we'd have the poet, the scientist, and the super life guy. And I think that that would make for an enthralling evening at dinner, right? Yeah, I love Brian Cox, actually. He'd be loads of fun. Yeah, he's such a cool guy. Well, that's it. That's the end oh, of our session. I know. So yeah. I've really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you um, so much for having me. I'm really hoping the audience have, have got to know a little bit more about Damien O'Gara and the work that's coming up for the IT team. Thank you very much, and thanks for One listening. One of my faves. <laughs> yeah, great. Thank you. All right. Catch you later. Okay, Go. thanks very much. So, yeah. The digital integration throughout 2022 is going to be a bit of a challenge, but a really worthy one. It's imperative to bring us together as one Kent. Change is hard though, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I hate a learning curve. It feels uncomfortable and really annoying. And if we're honest, a little bit vulnerable. The technology landscape we all work in at Kent will be impacted by change to some degree for all of us during 2022. We're all going to be in it. And for some more than others, it's going to be hard as hell. But it is a necessity. We have to transition to the same platforms to be as efficient as we can be into the future. And our technology team really are the best. And they're going to be working hard to make sure everybody understands the changes and works with all our teams throughout the challenges. But we all need to take ownership and accountability here. So my ask of you all is to ask all of the questions. The more we can understand the reason for change, the quicker we can accept it and start to work together. Stay positive, keep an open mind, have an infinite mindset, think long-term, remain focused and flexible and keep a stress toy close by. If you've enjoyed this episode of Spark Generation, please hit subscribe. Until next time, look after yourselves and stay safe.